0: Owen is uh, a student of philosophy at Oxford and also a f- student at Cross College, as you can tell, mm-hmm. and he's going to read his paper called Informing Egg Donors of the Potential for Embryonic Research, and there's the subtitle, so take it mm-hmm. away,
1: Owen. Hi everybody, uh, so yeah, thanks for coming out. Uh, so today uh, I thought I'd just give a brief uh, presentation on, uh, based on a, a paper I had worked on uh when I was in the U.S. Uh, at the NIH, um, so I have to thank my collaborators Nanette and I and Christine Grady, who helped me conduct this research and uh, and you know, really helped uh, conceive and design this project, uh, which I think ended up with some interesting results. So the subject, as it indicates, is uh, is embryonic research and the relation to egg donors. Now, in the talk, I'm going to try to divide it into three sections. Let's see if I can. Uh, get through this I'll, I'll try to watch the time to make sure I don't go over so first I'll just do some background on uh, on and, and as well as the current law on embryonic stem cell research in the US, now this is because the research was begun at the NIH in the US, it's US centric but I think some of the arguments will have applications towards the UK and it might suggest further research on, uh, on UK clinical practice, it might be interesting so yeah, you know, like I said I'll talk about the ethics of informing egg donors about Potential research, um, and then finally present the results from this study that we did. All right. So the whirlwind background on uh, on embryonic research in the U.S. It really goes back to 1973, when in the wake of Roe v. Wade, a decision that legalized abortion in the U.S., Congress was very concerned about a lot of uh, downline uses of, uh, of uh, early human life, and there was a moratorium placed on embryonic research. It's just generic. Uh, Uh, medical research on embryos. Uh, 1993 Clinton uh, initially uh, swept into office had um, lifted this moratorium on embryonic research but then under pressure from Congress a year later in the Republican revolution of 94 uh, reversed that moratorium. Uh, In 95 again under that same Congress uh, this kind of ban on, on federal funding of embryonic research was institutionalized. Uh, federal funding was disallowed for the creation of uh, embryos for research purposes and the destruction of embryos for research purposes. Note that the U.S. federal funding structure is weird. This doesn't ban research, uh, embryonic research, or destruction of research in the U.S. It just bans federal funding for that research. States and, uh, and private institutions are still allowed to do such research. This amendment is still in effect. Um, and keep that in mind at some later points in the background. And there's some pictures of the two congressmen who uh, who brought about this amendment. Right. So 1998 was the big event. Uh, this is when human stem cells were first isolated. Um, this uh, study, a study, a couple studies came out, that showed we could derive from human embryos um, these pluripotent stem cells, which at the time, and people still think, held great promise for clinical treatment and research because these cells could both be kept in perpetuity and uh, in effect turn n- into any other cell in the human body. Uh, they, were, uh, they were thought to be quite promising but also quite controversial because embryos needed to be destroyed in order to derive them. So now embryonic research becomes a really big issue um, and politically it kind of explodes. In 99, the Department of Health and Human Services determined it was legal, despite the Dickey-Wicker Amendment, to use federal funds on the stem cell lines already derived from state or fi- private funding um, so uh, so the state can fund further research, the DHS, the DHHS decided. Then in 2001, uh, George Bush comes into power, there's a lot of reversals in U.S. history that kind of corresponds to the history of U.S. stem cell policy, he, uh, he announced that um, well Okay, a compromise. We can do research on already existing stem cell lines, that is, lines already existing in 2001, but no new lines. It is disincentivized private funding of, uh, of new lines of stem cell, uh, new stem cell lines. The problem was that only a couple, about I think 16 or so lines had been derived at that time. A lot of them were not very useful, and, uh, and this seemed to put uh, a big limitation on U.S. Uh, stem cell research. Really, some people say, set it back a couple of years. <coughs> until... 2009 when Obama again reversed Bush's decision now this is current law allowing federal stem cells uh, set federal funding for stem cell research on lines already derived still can't actually send federal money deriving lines but you can spend federal money on, on uh, lines other people derived doing further research um, on them using federal dollars so in the midst of this it's interesting to note uh, privately funded human embryonic stem cell research and really embryonic stem cell research in general as well as IVF care is relatively unregulated in the the US it's part of the US's odd regulatory structure let the free market do its thing but when when the federal government gets involved we have some strict limitations so the federal guidelines uh, that is the guidelines for federally funded stem cell research again you can't fund the derivation of the lines the embryos must have been donated the embryos that were the lines were derived from must have been donated from a pool of spare embryos embryos produced in the course of IVF fertilization treatment that were going to be destroyed anyway um, and the couple donating the embryo for research um, must have gone through a relatively rigorous process of informed consent and their guidelines actually spell out what they need to be informed of in some detail. Now here's the rub of this topic of this paper that I found interesting about 12% of couples undergoing IVF use donor eggs. Um, that is, uh, the couple uh, uses um, a gamete from uh, perhaps sperm from a donor individual or individuals. These donations may be anonymous or directed, and oftentimes uh, women are compensated for these uh, donations. It can range anywhere from $1,000 to 10000 US dollars, depending, uh, sometimes you see advertisements in, uh, in college newspapers in the US. I don't know if you have them here. But, uh, but they they uh, you know they, they sometimes request specific traits uh, intelligence or uh, or physical appearance are two of the most common traits that are requested so like that it's not it's not the most common procedure but it's still a 12 percent constitutes a large portion of these uh, of these uh, IVF treatment cycles now here's the lacuna egg donors um, are not required to be informed uh, that is egg donors for uh, reproductive purposes are not required to be informed the resultant excess embryos might be donated for research including human embryonic stem cell research. No federal obligations mention this, they explicitly, in fact, do not require this based on some of the comments uh, and the way practice is carried out. Now to clarify, egg donors would have to give consent um, uh, for research done on their uh, on their eggs directly, so if if, uh, if one wanted to do research on, on the gametes themselves, not in embryos, you would have to get consent from the donor. However in this case if it's indirect, if the donor is giving for reproductive purposes and then a couple gets control of the embryos the original donor does not have to consent for any research purposes. The question here, whether or not the UK laws differ in this regard and if anyone here can help me clarify this it's not clear. Uh, I think the actual interpretation of the Human Fertilization Embryology Act of 1990 indicates that gamete donors, both sperm and egg, would have to consent for research uh, if you took a literal interpretation of the law. In practice, uh, I, I'm just not certain if, if, uh, if that's followed. It'd be interesting to find out what clinical and research practice is like in the UK. These results won't speak to that, but, uh, but it points to some further, further data that might be useful. Right. So, in the face of this lack of consent, you might ask, well, why should egg donors be informed of the possibility for embryonic research? A couple of factors uh, lead to this conclusion. First is that egg donation is, is not a trivial procedure, uh, compared with sperm donation, actually. Egg donation is risky and burdensome. Um, physical risks are well documented, and there might also be some psychological uh, burdens associated with it as well. Uh, in addition to this, about a third of Americans, uh, I'm not sure what the numbers are like in the UK, have a moral opposition to human embryonic stem cell research. This implies, in turn, while well, haven't been rigorous studies on this, but a good proportion of, uh, of egg donors are also going to have such a moral opposition to embryonic stem cell research. Additional, uh, additional problems, uh, human embryonic stem cell lines are, in effect, immortal. They're um, going to exist in, perp- in perpetuity. And as uh, genome, whole genome sequencing becomes more robust, down the line, private and parental tracking becomes more plausible, down the line privacy risks might ensue Uh, these are a little more remote but I think worth keeping in mind so um, here's the real issue a woman with moral objections to embryonic stem cell research might refuse to donate if she knew it was possible for her eggs to be used for research especially human embryonic stem cell research and this implies given uh, the current law it's possible some women engaging in risk, this risky and burdensome procedure might avoid this procedure if they were so informed this is generally uh, the sort of motivation that um, that includes uh, that leads us to put all sorts of information on informed consent forms uh, sufficient reason is that it's germane to a woman's decision to donate and that's a good reason to inform uh, them of this possibility of research prima facie case and of course uh, we the study authors believe that donors should be so informed uh, about the possibility of future research, uh, especially human embryonic stem cell research on resultant embryos. It's not a novel position, it's endorsed by the National Academies of Science in the US as well as the International Society for Stem Cell Research and there are also some, uh, some scholars that endorse this position as well but uh, these are just guidelines, there's no binding law uh, requiring this and, uh, and such soft guidelines oftentimes do not conform to practice uh, there's been a study by uh, Rob Streifer about uh, consent uh, about how guidelines didn't uh, for uh, couples consenting to embryonic research didn't conform to practice uh, and question is well, um, do, uh, do clinics actually conform to these guidelines? Before turning to that question uh, I just wanted to go through a couple objections to this position. Um, I think there's a slippery slope here. Well, if this, is, this kind of argument uh, grounds including this sort of information, um, especially if you have the position that these women are mistaken about the moral objections, well, maybe this is just like uh, a woman having a, a moral objection to people of a certain uh, disliked minority receiving uh, embryos. Does this mean you need to include information about all the potential theoretically dislikable uh, groups that might receive um, uh, the eggs or, or that might uh, use the resultant embryos? Um, that might seem absurd and an unfortunate implication of this view. Well, I don't think it has this implication. Um, the idea that people need to be so informed is not so necessary. Anonymous donors already are told that, well, the uh, individuals are, uh, who are going to receive the embryos are unknown. It seems quite reasonable to infer uh, for a donor to infer that uh, that the recipient of the uh, of the egg might indeed be part of some disliked, some a minority the person dislikes. Um, however. It's not true for, uh, for research. It doesn't seem as reasonable an inference to think when you're donating an egg for reproductive purposes, the resultant embryos might actually be turned around and used for research. So I think there is a difference. Second, well, okay, focusing on the wrong thing here, maybe. Uh, objections to stem cell research and research in general are really about the destruction of the embryo. So why not just inform um, egg donors, as we might hope already, that embryos might be destroyed? That's the crux of the issue. Well, certainly this information is important for that very reason um, and in the study we're actually going to, we actually did address this issue but i think it's important to remember there might be concerns about research over and be over and above the destruction issue um, so again the privacy uh issue the uh the fact that the lions exist in perpetuity as well as just the fact or the idea that these embryos are not going to be used for reprodu- reproductive purposes and perhaps the motivation for going through with this in the first place was primarily reproductive and people have suspicions about these kinds of research in general, um, these sorts of worries could underlie an objection over and above the mere uh, destruction question. So I think it's probably a good idea to include both, uh, both pieces of information. Right. So here's the study that we did, the research question. To what extent uh, do U.S. IDF clinics inform egg donors about the possibility of research? By answering this question, we can basically determine or help understand whether and to to what extent we need to reform practice. Um, The question of how to reform is a further issue. Uh, I'll try to touch on that at the end. But hey, if if clinics are already informing uh, egg donors about research, then this is really a non-issue, and and maybe we can all all go home. So, uh, for this study, uh, we gathered up as a sample basically all uh, US IVF clinics. The CDC, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, has a database um, of of essentially all clinics, even those that are not accredited, um, about 470. And we tried to contact all of those to get access essentially to their consent forms. So uh, we had uh, about an overall initial 50% response rate. Uh, 55 were eliminated because they uh, they, they were untraceable or appeared to no longer offer IVF. 102 explicitly declined to participate, 91 did not respond, uh, but it appeared to exist still. Uh, The remaining 222, 100 of them reported on a questionnaire that they both use donor eggs and at least uh, sometimes allow embryos to be donated for research. This is the relevant category of clinics, the clinics where research uh, on resultant embryos is possible, and they're the ones we want to investigate uh, to see what their consent forms are like. So again, among those 100 eligible clinics, about 66 sent their consent forms. So about two thirds of the uh, of the eligible clinics that responded actually sent us consent forms for analysis. This is not this is, I think, a decent response rate, but not overwhelming, and might lead to some problems about uh, generalizability. I'll discuss that a little bit in the limitations section. But for now, uh, I'll discuss. Okay. Uh, well, here, here this is just a chart of the. Uh, uh, various response rates by demographic uh, to see if there were any correlations with, uh, with various clinic aspects and their response rate. We looked at a re- region, a membership in a professional association, the Society for Assisted Reproductive Treatment, accreditation, as well as a proxy for size, the annual number of IVF cycles at a given clinic. More cycles generally indicates a larger or busier clinic. Um, among these, the only factor that correlated with response rate to a statistically significant degree um, were uh, the cl- uh, size essentially these cycles especially the cycles of non-donor eggs this um, yeah this indicates that uh, larger clinics perhaps are uh, have more personality more able to respond to the study um, but also might be generally be more forthright about their practices like I said this questionnaire that we send each clinics uh, each, all the clinics um, this is determine eligibility Uh, But also a further question about whether or not the clinics um, Sometimes donate embryos to human embryonic stem cell research in particular Um, And among all the clinics that donate for research (coughs) About half of them, uh, 54%, um, do donate for human embryonic stem cell research Uh, It's interesting only half, I was kind of expecting a large percentage But it might be that some clinics still find this particular practice uh, more controversial Than general embryonic research which uh, I think is actually quite relevant. Uh, Just a side note, clinics in the uh, North, Midwest, and West are slightly more likely than those in the South to donate some embryos for human embryonic stem cell research. Which shouldn't be too surprising. The South is somewhat more conservative than other regions of the US. Right. So among those 66 consent forms that we received, um, they were analyzed among a variety of domains I'll be discussing. Uh, by two readers. Uh, none, of the re- none of the readers were uh, study authors, but in the case that the two readers disagreed, the study authors uh, came in and adjudicated to determine how a given uh, form should be understood. Uh, the Content forms varied a lot in length, average of 4.9 pages, but they ranged from anywhere between 1 and 26. Um, and uh, we analyzed along three general domains, uh, one is over general control which might indicate at least something about what the uh, donor is giving up uh, in terms of disposition. The outcomes of the embryo, which includes questions of destruction, and the question of potential research on resultant embryos. So now we can discuss or get the results here. First on control. Uh, so almost all forms, 97%, uh, put in language about control over eggs, embryos, or resultant children. For the egg donors. Um, interestingly, uh, a small minority, but still larger than I would expect, four of the forms out of, out of, this, uh, out of these um, did allow some control, uh, they did allow the egg donors to exert some control over resultant embryos, either for research or other purposes. We can get into the, how they did this in, in, uh, in discussion, but, but that was quite interesting. But most did not, most did not allow any control for the, uh, for the egg donor over <coughs> the resultant embryos. Um, most of them either mentioned uh, egg donors, parental donors, or both. Um, however, uh, sorry, uh, I, I don't control over parents or, uh, or parental control or don't control over the eggs or both. Um, only a minority explained what it was to have control. That is, they only uh, about 38% went into what we consider detail. Um, uh, explaining what it meant to give up control, the sorts of decisions that were being given up. Uh, so this includes dis- questions of disposition for children rearing um, and, uh, and questions of further directed use and, of course, research as well. Um, so while all these forms mention control, a lot of them don't do a good jo- uh, job of explaining exactly that, um, which might be a problem if, uh, if people aren't quite thinking very clearly about what it means to give up complete control over a uh, over resultant embryo he also asked about outcomes so most but not an overwhelming majority of these forms indicated that some would be in excess that is some embryos would um, might not some resultant embryos might not be implanted um, again a minority explained of those explained what it was to uh, to be in excess um, it's kind of complicated the procedures that, uh, that are going to in terms of storage and uh, and how these uh, embryos might be uh, might be kept and donated to other couples, most forms did not really go into much detail. just mentioned they would be excess, and that might lead to some confusion about what it was for donors to be in excess. Uh, more importantly, only a minority uh, indicated that embryos result in embryos could be discarded or destroyed. This will be relevant uh, because you might think this is a good replacement for information about, uh, about research on, on stem cells. But even that, uh, only a minority of the forums mentioned the possible destruction of resultant embryos. And the key research question, well, did the forum indicate, these are all dealing with various aspects of research. So the, the main finding, I guess, from the study was about 30% of these forums that we analyzed um, did indicate that excess embryos uh, were created, uh, could be used for research. It is less than a third. An even smaller minority, so among the about 38 form, uh, forms from clinics that did donate some embryos for stem cell research, only three of them, or 8%, actually mentioned stem cell research, uh, which is to say that um, basically very, very few forms are mentioning stem cell research, uh, and therefore very few donors might be in, aware of the possibility of stem cell research. We also analyzed among a variety of other dimensions. These were mostly included because this is the sort of information uh, that couples uh, donating embryos for research would have to be informed of. We just wanted to see to what extent, if any, do clinics uh, go above and beyond the call of duty, so to speak, uh, and include this information. It looks like it's quite uncommon. Only a couple of forms went into detail about um, about implantability, um, uh, med- med- uh, possible medical benefits, the direction of benefit, um, yeah, and uh, commercial potential commercial use. Uh, we're not necessarily saying that donors need to be informed of these, but it would be interesting to know whether donors were getting this information. And it looks like most are not, the vast majority are not. Um, there were so. it for some correlations between these different questions. Was answering was a providing providing one piece of information on a form. Uh, does that make you more likely to have another piece of information on a form? there weren't that many correlations. Um, The main one was that for forms that mentioned research, they were more likely to explain control uh, over eggs and embryos, mention that some would be in excess, and mention that they might be destroyed. This indicates, to me anyway, that the forms that were mentioning research are generally more thorough about explaining to donors how the outcomes of these embryos, uh, uh, what they're going to be like. Um, It gets a certain, to my mind, conscientiousness among these sorts of Uh, clinics that are informing donors about research and uh, but no other statistically significant uh, correlations were found so it's always possible that this was a little bit of data mining going on here and these uh, these correlations were not incredibly important alright so what does this indicate Um, to us we think that, that this data mean a significant majority of egg donors are not being informed and thus might not be aware of embryos being used for research. I mean, strictly speaking, this is a survey of forms, and we didn't correlate the forms with uh, uh, the size of the clinic, so we can't extrapolate the number of people that are being informed, but it seems that only a minority are. Um, that is, we've only, given that only less than a third of uh, the mentioned research and a scant proportion mentioned stem cell research, um, there seems to be a serious problem here. Um, that is this information does not seem to be getting out in the absence of, uh, of regulation in the US and again from the previous uh, section you might think that just mentioning destruction is sufficient to allay these concerns but as we saw most forms are not even mentioning the possibility of destruction of embryos uh, so even if one took that view there still seems to be a problem um, and in our view a need for clinics to reform practice Right. So what sort of solutions might there be to this problem? Well, one of them is more legal, uh, informing... So you might say that, well, um, we should just require egg donors to go through the same consent procedures that, uh, that the couple donating embryos for research have to go through for whenever a research project comes about. This, uh, this is possible. I'm not certain that we need to go this far. Um, first of all, it's not clear all the pieces of information that uh, embryo, uh, the couple donating... Um, embryos received are relevant for uh, for egg donors moreover um, they need the ability to go back and sort of reconsent egg donors after they've already given um, uh, given initial consent might be prohibitive it might end up shutting off um, already derived stem cell lines from further research if they can't recontact the uh, the initial egg donor which might be a, a reasonable cost, but it also, given some some of these test lines do appear to have been derived from donor eggs, might impede a significant amount of research. Another opportunity, uh, our option indicated by, again, four of those interesting forms, would be to give some egg donors, at the point of consent, control over the disposition of resultant embryos, in particular allowing them to, say, um, direct what kind of research is permissible on resultant embryos. And again, this is Admittedly, somewhat radical possibility. Uh, I mean, it is done by some clinics, but it might have uh, deep and problematic ramifications for the egg donation uh, process. If you begin giving this kind of control to uh, to egg donors, down the line, issues for um, uh, for uh, for parenting and 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 control over resultant children uh, might lead to a big problem. For I think the uh, the coherence of, of, of egg donation and the likelihood of IVF couples being willing to seek this sort of uh, this sort of donation—it um, certainly would complicate very much the egg donor and uh, recipient relationship to a degree that might not be necessary. Instead, we recommend um, a simpler solution, which is just including certain uh, information on the consent form itself at the point of initial consent. This information need not be incredibly extensive, uh, so we provide some, uh, some phrasing, some, some recommended phrasing that could be put on a consent form that we think would go a long way towards allaying the sort of concerns that we laid out. So this is just the language we propose, not necessarily set in stone, but uh, informing them that some embryos might not be implanted and recipients might instead opt to discard them or donate them for research, including stem cell research. And in the course of such research, the embryos might be destroyed. Uh, we could also uh, think about going into detail about what stem cell research entails, in particular the, perp- um, the pseudo immortality of the lines, the pluripotency of the cells, and so on. Though again, it might it need not be incredibly detailed, and we need not add too much uh, length to these forms. We think that this language would really go a long way towards allaying the uh, the concerns that we've uh, we've raised. And the problems of consent for egg donors. So uh, before wrapping up, um, I want to link back to some of the limitations I had discussed earlier. Um, again, the response rate, good maybe okay but not great. Um, maybe there's a, a bias in the results. Um, it could very well be that the clinics that responded to their forms are not representative of all uh, US IVF clinics. Uh, to my mind, the most likely possibility Is that clinics with uh, less rigorous informed consent procedures um, would be less willing to participate in this study, um, (coughs) leading our results to overestimate the rigor of consent forms. But of course the opposite is possible and and we can't really rule out the possibility we've underestimated uh, the rigor of these forms. Um, But one one possible uh, way to ameliorate these concerns is to note uh, that while the number of cycles uh, performed by an IVF clinic annually did not um, or did correlate with response rate, larger clinics were more likely to uh, respond, they, the size of the clinic did not correlate with um, inclusion or exclusion of certain information on consent forms. So larger clinics were not more or less likely to mention research on their clinics. Um, this is at least somewhat, uh, given that um, this was correlated with response rate, uh, the size of the clinic. This at least somewhat reduces the risk of sample bias in the study. Um, Of course, it doesn't completely uh, address these concerns, but at least indicates um, that responding or failure to respond to the study, the same factors don't necessarily lead to a differential content in the consent form. Uh, But of course, we can't eliminate the possibility of this bias, and so um, suitable caveats do apply to this study. Right, so just in conclusion and summarizing, uh, we think it's important for women donating eggs uh, to couples seeking IVF treatment to be informed about the possibility of research on resultant embryos. But from this study, it seems most US clinics do not inform egg donors about the possibility of research on resultant embryos. And in the light of this, we think that clinics do need to reform their practices and ensure that egg donors receive the relevant information. Does this mean we should be pushing for legal reform? Um, Should there be a requirement of federal funding that this information be required? Uh, This is one area where my co-authors and I disagree. Uh, I guess I personally am inclined to think it would be better if the U.S. had in its federal regulations the requirement that consent forms include this, because oftentimes just putting out guidelines and papers is insufficient to motivate clinics to action, um, I think. Previous studies have shown that, that you know, the, the force of law is the best way to uh, to effect reform. But there are, of course, uh, difficulties in, in ever getting these kind of laws to change, And at least in the near term, and, uh, and minimally, clinics do need to reform their practices themselves. It's not too difficult to add, you know, a paragraph or two to these consent forms, uh, so I think it's a pretty reasonable request to make of IVF clinics in the U.S.
0: All right, that's it.
2: Thank you Johnny. Uh, thanks for the talk, mm-hmm. It was really interesting to see some of the data. Um, the question I've got is really about the efficacy of the consent forms in general. Mm-hmm. So I presume with the uh, language you were suggesting should be uh, using these consent forms, uh, the idea would be you have that paragraph and then a box next to it which the participant would tick to say they read it. Yeah. Now I think in most cases when, well at least when I've had to use these sort of consent forms, you see them as a bit of a health and safety barrier to you go and get the procedure. And so you just tick whatever's in front of you, especially in the case of uh, uh, procedures where you're being compensated as in the case of neck bones. Now, in normal cases, because those sort of consent procedures are to do with your own prudential concern, so sure you know what's gonna be good for you given the procedure, doesn't seem to be too problematic. But in this particular uh, case, we're talking more about moral concerns because we want to know if the uh, patients involved are aware of the the moral reasons they might have. So do you think that given the moral nature of this sort of domain, researchers need to go beyond just merely providing a form which patients can go and tick, but they really need to kind of uh, sit these people down and talk them through the options? Yeah. Is the consent form just going to be in
1: yeah, so I think, um, I think that comprehension is an issue. I think it's, it's not just an issue for these kinds of, uh, these kinds of uh, informed consent forms, but research uh, forms in general and even self-interested treatment forms. Uh, the reason why it's important for self-interested treatment forms is more, the main, I think, importance of these informed consent forms is laying out the risks and burdens of, of various procedures. And if someone, oh, I just want to tick the boxes and go through with this medical procedure that I think is great, well, I mean, that might involve you just glossing over um, very important and germane side effects or uh, or drawbacks of a given procedure. And so I think it is very important uh, for people to not only just you know, pro forma sign a form, but, uh, but really understand it. And so th- this is, I think, one of the current more interesting live debates and, and issues in, in clinical ethics re- um, or, and research ethics re- uh, research. How do you get... How do you ensure that people are really understand the forms they're signing? Um, so I... I uh, I'm not an expert in this area, I think, there's, but there have been a number of studies trying to figure this out. Um, mm-hmm. One of the more effective means appears to be a sort of test. Um, so after you, you, uh, you inform them beforehand and then after, uh, about the fa- this fact that you're gonna test them, so to speak, about the elements of a consent form afterwards. They're gonna be a multiple choice test or, uh, or a fill in the blank and you need not necessarily get every, every question mm-hmm. right. But it does appear that the inclusion of these tests Um, improves at least recall of various factors later Um, now being able to answer questions in a test is not sufficient for comprehension of course but I think it goes a long way towards uh, towards alleviating these concerns another method that you mentioned I guess was the discussion so in in addition to signing the form the uh, the physician or researcher sits down with the uh, the patient or subject and discusses the issues with them tries to make sure they understand them through a back-and-forth these uh, these kind of interactive methods have had variable success, but uh, but certainly they don't seem to do any harm. So certainly I think it's very important, and certainly for this kind of donation, I would hope that uh, IVF clinics are having, excuse me, a very serious conversation with, uh, with with egg donors. I think it's yeah it's important to uh, to discuss uh, some of these issues, um, not only for the purpose of comprehension, but uh, but to ensure that you know um, that you know val- valid consent to begin with is voluntary and uh, and that the person is really suitable to, uh, to go through with the procedure.
3: Okay, yeah, Roger. Thanks, Steve. Uh It's a very interesting talk. Uh, two questions. One is: some, some of these women who are mating eggs will already know um, what might happen to the embryos. Do you know um, what sort of proportion of them already you know? Because if, if a lot of them already know, then it might be less important to change the form. And the second thing is um, this, could, could one of these clinics that hasn't got the kind of formula recommending defend itself by a to the reasonable person standard? Because uh, I suppose you might say a reasonable person who is going to do something like donate an embryo, really ought to find out a bit about it for themselves. Uh, and if they can't be bothered, it really can't matter that much to it. So, what
1: should we do in the work? Right. Yeah, thanks. Um, so I guess as to the first question, um, unfortunately, there isn't rigorous data on this. Uh, so one, there has been one study um, that kind of interviewed um, uh, uh, egg donors. Uh, Andrea Kalflogou uh, and others had done that. Um, they did find that some people were concerned about the possibility, uh, some egg donors were concerned about the possibility of research on resultant embryos. Um, Unfortunately, and so they, and they would be, they were kind of surprised uh, in this interview process when they uh, were told this is a possibility. This study cannot tell you the percentage, though, because it is an interview study, and, and she didn't exactly tabulate the uh, results in a generalizable way. It's not clear what percentage uh, would be so surprised. Um, that's certainly the sort of data that would be very useful. Uh, oftentimes, um, I mean, one of the biggest suggestions for this uh, follow-up study to this has been a survey of these donors, asking not only whether they would be surprised or how much they know about this kind of research, but also. Uh, how uh, how how much forceful any objections would be to the research and so yes it would it would be quite useful to know that unfortunately uh, the data is not currently available. As to the second question, um, what, sorry, what was the second question again? Was... The
3: second question was could the clinics appeal to the reasonable person standard?
1: Yeah so the reasonable person standard is, is very tricky. Um, exactly, What would a reasonable person think in this circumstance? If if we can apply in this case, it's my belief, so I indicated this earlier. I don't think it's quite reasonable to expect um, donors to do this kind of research ahead of time. But no more than it would be reasonable for them to, to expect them to do research on the side effects, which arguably are much more important. And we say, well, we shouldn't bother including you know uh, all these medical side effects because what would you know all the information available on the internet and this is a really big decision. They can just Google it and find out. <laughs> right, that's just reasonable. Well, it, it would be kind of reasonable. I would I would do that if I were going through a Pre, uh, any really any medical procedure that says burdensome or risky um, but just because it's reasonable to expect people to find information on them uh, on their own doesn't mean it's reasonable it's reasonable to expect them to know it at the point of signing um, I think it would, be a, it would be kind of you know a dangerous precedent to say well we can expect people to find this out on their own uh, therefore we have there's no need to include it that having been said um, I think there, are, there might be a reasonable inference. So, again, I mentioned other things you can reasonably expect given the information on the sheet to infer. So you don't need to have extremely long inform, uh, consent forms for this reason explaining every single detail of, of what it means to, uh, to donate um, because you can kind of expect when you, know, you, know, you explain certain, uh, certain medical procedures for people to make reasonable inferences. So as I said earlier, I thought it was a reasonable inference from anonymous donation to the idea that, well, donation might go to someone you don't like. Um, I don't think it's as reasonable an inference and I don't think it's something we should necessarily expect uh, for people to infer from the uh, fact that they're donating for uh, explicitly reproductive purposes to expect them to believe that embryos might be used for research now you could come back and say well this is another data we need to gather we could again uh, find out if people already have this belief actually people already do infer that, that uh, maybe, maybe if 95% of women already think that, you know, oh yeah, that this is going to go for research anyway, uh, or could go for research in the end, um, then this wouldn't be as much of an issue. I would be incredibly surprised if it turned out that most people believe that embryos um, could be used for research in the end, given Caulfogus' study and uh, and just the general content of the forms. Doesn't, well, if you're not mentioning research, it's kind of odd to, I think, infer that research is going to go on.
0: Okay, um, I have a question. Um... <laughs> To what extent um, do you think that uh, issues about the the bare possibility of uh, embryos being used for medical research are being um, evaded because IVF clinics uh, feel a kind of responsibility to support medical research and they're worried that um, if they raise the issue they may have uh, Less embryos to pass on to
1: uh, medical
0: researchers.
1: Yeah, so I guess this is one of the downsides I, I, I didn't get into in detail of providing this information. The risk being it would reduce the, the likelihood of people providing embryos um, uh, for, uh, for IVF treatment. And then maybe this is a concern clinics have. So we didn't interview clinics in detail to ask them why they do or do not uh, include this information. So uh, anything I say is going to have to be understood as speculation. Um, I guess I'm not incredibly cynical about this sort of thing. I, I tend to think that clinics uh, have the interests of their patients in mind first. So I think that the risk would less be that oh, because if they had provided this information, they couldn't uh, they couldn't forward it to medical research, not embryos for medical research. I think it would be a much larger possibility that clinics would um, would be reluctant to include the information for the sake of the couples seeking IVF treatment, um, because that's the that's really clinics are really most of these clinics are not research clinics they're mostly focused on the couple seeking IVF treatment do, do, do they have economic links with uh, medical researchers medical some research do facilities? some right. do um, so there's been some concern about these sorts of links in the past some of the ethical objections uh, the links have been raised some people do worry in the process of, uh, of consent that maybe um, well, this is particularly germane for couples seeking um, uh, IVF treatment uh, and the do- or decision to donate people are wondering well are these clinics pressuring Uh, Couples uh, to donate for uh, for embryonic research uh, because they have this kind of the the clinics have this financial stake in it. Um, I think that is a serious issue. Um, My own impression is that this kind of pressure is not very heavy, given that the robust informed consent procedures are in place. Um, I mean, but it is always a risk. Um, And again. The bigger risk would be that they omit or don't include certain information in consent forms because of this uh, this yeah. incentive. Um, so what we didn't do is we didn't try to. So there are some clinics that have dual purpose. The clinics that are associated with research groups directly that all that uh, that also do research. And we didn't. And we didn't. I guess we could have correlate um, provision of information with co- uh, connection with a, a research institute. Um, might have been interesting to do that in hindsight. But uh, I suspect that the sample size wouldn't be large enough to find in, significant differences but it is a possibility and I think thing one that needs to be kept in mind and uh, in the process of, uh, uh, of going forward with this kind of regulation we should keep uh, clinics feet to the fire to ensure they're being honest
4: Alex Thanks, Well, very much building on Steve's question mm-hmm. so one worry about your proposal would be that since many people have uh, qualms as you mentioned about Doing research uh, on on these embryos, you would have less eggs, uh, as people agreeing to have their <coughs> eggs used for on the, the resulting resulting embryos used for that purpose. Right. Now, could this perhaps be uh, Let's. I mean, you, you could reply of course to this that the, the right of the the woman donating her eggs to make an informed choice about how, what's going to happen if, if the actually donates trumps this uh, possible loss of utility. But what about having some kind of uh, in addition to your proposal, some kind of incentive perhaps to uh, uh, give eggs, uh, and so one such incentive, uh, I think you mentioned that some women got paid uh, for to give eggs, what about uh, having differential amounts paid to uh, women who consent to have their eggs uh, eventually used for research as opposed to those who would refuse?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting proposal. So yeah yeah I, I would in the first place go with the line you suggested and say the, the right to informed consent does trump in this case the the need, the need for more uh, uh, more eggs for both fertility and uh, and research purposes. Um, I, I think that in general we need to defer um, to, the, to these interests because uh, well the process of informed consent would basically be sidelined if we, if we didn't defer to that but this proposal is, uh, that you suggested is interesting so so what it means, uh, one implication would be it, it, it goes for I guess one of the searches I mentioned, which is control. It gives the um, the egg donor a certain amount of control over the disposition of the embryo because it implies that someone can donate um, uh, an egg with a stipulation it it be or be not, uh, it be not used for research. Um, so this would be a way, given within that framework, if we already accept this kind of control, it should maybe become a standard procedure. Um, one way of, of adding differential cost. My, my, my impression, though, of giving this differential incentive, I, I think it's somewhat problematic. I try to be, I'm not reluctant, I, I, I'm, I guess, more liberal about, um, about payment issues than, than a lot of research uh, ethicists in general. Um, but I guess I would start to worry at this point where you're financially incentivizing um, uh, this kind of research that you're asking people to compromise their, their morals in this way. Maybe it's justified, maybe if we think that, oh, their, their morals are wrong, it's not a problem if, if, if their, their concerns are mistaken. But the idea of paying people money to overcome their moral qualms, um, I don't know. <laughs> I guess people do that all the time for lots of jobs, but so maybe it's, it's, it, this is a weak response. But I guess I'd have to think about it more to see if those, those problems are really sufficient to object to it. But
3: you're not really paying them to overcome their moral qualms, and you're paying them for the extra benefit.
1: Well, so presumably, um, it's going to the, the reason you're doing it is because you think there are some people who are going to be incentivized by the extra money. Otherwise, or, there, or would there be some other reason to pay them the differential? Is it just to, to for compensation purposes? that people deserve it? Well,
3: it's kind of foreseen unintended side effect that their moral crimes will be overcome, but you're not intending to do that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: intending to corrupt them. <laughs> is that so? <laughs> Unintended side effect? I don't know. If if you weren't intending to corrupt them, then w- why wouldn't you just offer the um, offer the option without the co- the different compensation? Uh, well,
3: just because you know that they're, they're less likely to agree. I mean, you, I don't think you. I don't think. I don't think Alex's suggestion was you find out what
5: people think and then if they're feeling a bit queasy, you offer. <laughs> oh sure, yeah,
1: yeah. No, I I, I guess. Maybe it's unintended, I guess, but but it seems to be the only way it could work uh, is is by this sort of sort of corruption. Maybe yeah, maybe maybe you don't you don't you don't want them to be corrupted. You just want them to, to, to get the uh, the research permission, and you're willing to pay whatever to get that. Um, but I think that given the effect, that would be the effect. I mean, maybe maybe this is not a real issue, but I guess I, I it seems a little disconcerting when I first hear of it. But I have to think more about it to see if it really would be a problem.
4: I think you could put a more positive spin on okay. it than saying that you pain people people like, to corrupt them or overcome their moral qualms or integrity. You could say, you're taking a stand, you know, <coughs> like the, the general public is taking a stand in favor of research that potentially saves lives or cures some terrible diseases. That that sounds better, doesn't it? It does sound better, yeah, you right. <laughs> <laughs> but
1: it's,
5: it's, it's really what it's about.
1: What it sounds like? Yeah, maybe, I mean... Yes. Yeah, so yeah. Depending on your framing, maybe I'm framing it unfairly. I don't uh, so probably thinks that you know that's a little bit unfair as well to frame it. Maybe there is. Is there a neutral way to frame it? Oh, okay. <laughs> well, maybe we'll move on from this spin
5: doctrine. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I just wanted uh, whether you think that the reason that this information should be included on the consent forms is that many people, a third of people, have moral objections to this research, or that a third of people have reasonable moral objections to mm-hmm. this research. So, think of a case where a couple think they're donating, or well, some a woman thinks she's donating an egg to a, a white couple to produce the child, but yeah. uh, actually there's some risk that it will not be used by this couple and will be passed on to a black couple, and the person yeah. donating the eggs finds that very objectionable because they're a racist. This is maybe what you're thinking of with your slippery slope argument, yeah. and in response to that was kind of to say, well, it's, it's more reasonable, you know, we should, we should expect people to realise that um, their eggs might be passed on to a different couple. Yeah. But maybe that's not the case in some cases, maybe some... Um, Maybe sometimes people think they're just really donating the egg to a couple, and a particular couple, and don't realize that it could be used by someone yeah. else. And anyway, suppose suppose it's this suppose is not the case. Would you think that then uh, that sort of information should also
1: be included? Yeah, so I take a bit of a cop out uh, on this and say if the procedures were designed correctly, they this, this mistake wouldn't occur. Not and uh, they're not designed this way to avoid this particular situation. They should be designed in a way that would avoid it. In particular, um, if someone is giving a directed donation, they should be informed if the donation might not end up being given to the person they're uh, they're, they're they're intending to give it to. Uh, I think that should be part of the procedure anyway. So if, if if there's this possibility of someone other than your intended recipient getting it, I think you should be informed of that. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I mean, I know this is not for the reasons that I'm worried about the racists or whatever. Um, you know, giving to the wrong person. But a general reason that, you know, people should, you know, when they're consenting to give to a couple, should understand the possibility that, hey, you know, if they're only willing to go through these burdens for the sake of that couple or something like that, maybe they have good reason um, to oppose it. If they, if they thought it might go to someone else, it wouldn't be worth it. So ideally, that wouldn't come up as an issue if the consent forms were designed properly.
5: Okay. So, wh- I mean, just one follow-up. Suppose, suppose we're in a jurisdiction now, that's not the U.S., mm. where um, um, the, the kind of stake. Is that it's to think that early younger, is there any more, it's very pro society Would that make a difference to, um, whether that information should be included on? I don't
1: I don't think it should make a difference in this case uh, I think that the main problem is the fact that they object to it I mean maybe if you could argue they were being incredibly irrational they were in some psychological state and this is you know issues of consent in general if they weren't competent to consent those sorts of conditions yeah, apply yeah. Then it would be okay, but I think just the state having a moral support or opposition to a position shouldn't affect. I think it'd be a dangerous precedent if it did affect consent procedures.
6: Okay, uh, Bennett. I think what Tom is trying to put pressure on here is the idea that there will be certain kinds of uh, widespread moral objections that are just so strongly unreasonable that, Mm -hmm. in effect, by putting this kind of clause in your consent form, you're sort of offering validation to something that shouldn't be validated, in that sense. Now, well, we, we could probably agree that racism fell into that category, but you know we might we might differ on whether or not the objection to, to the use of embryos in research falls into that category. And I think maybe to you and me it's a kind of an idiotic moral objection. And that might be colouring you know the way we're thinking about it here. But you need you need some kind of it seems to me you need some sort of um, way of thinking about whether or not people need to be offered the opportunity to opt out of things of, of beneficial things for idiotic
1: reasons yeah so i guess i would bite the bullet in this direction and say that yes people should be allowed to refuse and uh, based on idiotic reasons right. uh, i think that it, it informed consent you know it would be overly paternalistic if we didn't do that i mean well, no
6: no no i mean obviously they should be allowed i mean well i mean that's a different question anyway it's not obvious but but, but
1: well, the question of whether or not a position
6: to offer it is there, is yeah there,
1: I think that you should be sensitive but to potentially idiotic positions Uh, and you should take that into account and I guess you might you might maybe a worry it signals something when you include it in the consent form
6: so for you it's just down to how likely it is that this objection will be raised mostly
1: yeah I mean you know maybe you know again at a certain level of irrationality I guess I can get on board with uh with 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 not bothering to include it but I don't the question of, of racism could argue that's that's not rising that level of irrationality but I think luckily I don't need to uh, We don't. I, I don't think there's any this doesn't imply we need to include any information about say uh, race on the form because of the way forms are designed but yeah this this principle does imply a content neutral uh, uh, grounds for inclusion of information yeah. okay. uh,
0: Kristen, I'm guessing your name is Laura yes <laughs> thank you I
5: really enjoyed your presentation okay. um, I was just wondering if there's any data on whether spam banks give spam donors sort of any sort of similar information about um, embryonic research and whether it might be I mean, particularly important to give sperm donors uh, information about it because they don't have to go through sort of these long procedures, which means they might not be more willing to look up information about
1: it. Right? Yeah, so um, I mean, th- th- this is the only study, uh, I guess uh, so far of its kind. there hasn't been a study of uh, a comparable study of sperm donors uh, on this particular question um, and the consent forms that sperm donors go through. Um, but I, I, I would be surprised if they gave more information to sperm donors. It'd be shocking. My position about sperm donors, um, well, I think there's less reason. It's less important, I guess, so to speak, to inform uh, sperm donors because the risks and burdens are so much less. Now there are, they're not, there, there's not none. In particular, the, uh, the informational risks that I mentioned are still there. So the fact that again these lines are exist in perpetuity, and again as you know, lines become more identifiable as you know, whole genome sequencing becomes more popular over time. Yeah, this this becomes as much of a risk, but uh, but the fact that there aren't a large number of men who are going through harmful you know procedures, I consider uh, that they would otherwise refuse. Well, you know, they're going through a, a relatively, I think, harmless procedure. It's not as much of an issue. Still, consistency might imply it's a good idea to in- include this on the consent forms, and so I do take it that yeah, the same arguments would probably give a uh, give you good reason to, but maybe not nearly as, as strong a reason to include it on a consent form. Now if this became, so it might be because it's not as strong, it might be if this really disincentivized people from donating sperm, maybe that would be a reason not to include it because reasons are relatively weak. I, I doubt it would have that kind of effect, given, as you say, how relatively well, people aren't as invested in, in, in sperm donation as they are in egg donation. Um, yeah, so I guess I would say it would, it would, it would probably apply there as well. Um, and actually, some of the recommendations that I mentioned do also apply to sperm donors. I should say. I think I think the NAS at least uh, recommendations do apply to sperm donors as well.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um. So I, I have another question. Um. So I mean, people talk about the informed consent process, and uh, it can be misleading in a way just to look at the forms, uh, because you know, typically when the informed consent, goes on, people have an opportunity to ask a bunch of questions. Yeah. Now. Getting back to the racist, um, suppose uh, someone comes to the clinic and they say, "Look, you know, um, I'm very concerned that uh, my eggs might end up, um, you know, um, being fertilised by some of the wrong race. Mm-hmm. Um, can you?" Um, you know, I know this wasn't on the form and whatnot, but I'd like—I now like to know um, whatever information you have. Could you tell me what percentage of your embryos go to what racial groups are, and so on? How would you uh, respond right. to that?
1: So that this is the, the information they want is the percentage that goes to the uh, the certain racial groups. They're not
0: expecting you to direct their embryo yeah. uh, to uh, a white supremacist
1: or or anything in particular. They just want. Um, should yeah, they provide I'll this? Should they provide this information? Yeah. Um, so at this point, uh, you begin to worry if this, if, you, if they do allow this, they are encouraging an explicitly discriminatory and probably illegal practice. Um, I would expect that at least in this case, the provision of the information would would be could be seen as a, a, as facilitating discrimination in a problematic way, in a possibly uh, possibly illegal way. Mm-hmm. Um, now the question of beyond. So you withhold the information on that basis, as we had at hand? Depending on your reasoning, I mean, on the other hand, I mean, yeah, I, w- I would think the clinics should reasonably be uncomfortable providing that because it would facilitate yeah. uh, invidious discrimination that we should try to uh, discourage. Um, and maybe want to come back and say, well, maybe they should try to discourage, you know improper moral reasoning or something when it comes to stem cell research or whatever, but but I think there is a big difference between the two, I guess. Maybe this goes to the earlier question of whether or not we can draw a line. Yeah. Maybe that's how I would draw the line between the two. Um, one is, you know, people deciding to support or oppose particular research for moral convictions. The other is actively, essentially depriving some IVF couple of a benefit um, they might otherwise get for discriminatory reasons. Um, right. right. I guess that's how I ground the objection but I wouldn't I wouldn't I, w- I would think that'd be a bad idea to provide that information in general for that reason yeah. okay. Okay. Mm-hmm.
5: Uh, Tom just a, just a quick comment in response to what you said to the question about s- sperm donation mm-hmm. I, wasn't, I wasn't completely clear on why well I wasn't really sure that the riskiness of the procedure was as important as what you were suggesting because mm-hmm. it seems to me that probably the main thing we're concerned about here is not that people are Undergoing risks that they wouldn't otherwise undertake, but that people might be kind of becoming complicit in a practice that they think is wrong, and that and that's the case yeah. same in the sperm donor cases as it is in the egg case. So right. maybe it's a bit worse if they're also taking a risk to, to become right. complicit in a, what they think is
1: wrong. But right. I guess I'd say it's both. Uh, I'm concerned about both. Question is which more. Actually, to be honest. If I was saying which which I'm more concerned about, it's undergoing the um, the risk that you wouldn't otherwise, rather than the complicity um to me that that's actually a much more serious issue maybe i just i don't put enough weight i mean i think complicity is is a problem and it is uh, it is a reason uh and it's true it's a reason in the sperm donor case and i should have i should have mentioned that um and so maybe that makes it still there's relatively strong reason to provide that uh for a sperm donor as well but i do think that the the risk i mean because I, i i think generally with consent the main reason that you provide consent is for the uh reason to ensure that people get into risks and burdens they are willing to and uh and, and think are worthwhile. Similar reason motivates uh, this part, uh, informing this part of consent. Um, complicity doesn't come up so much. Maybe it should come up more in, in informed consent discussions. Uh, maybe it is actually a relatively important and, and weighty consideration. I guess I'm not so certain how weighty it is. Any
4: further? Is that a question? Uh, no, no. Is nice. a teasing there. <laughs> <laughs> Any further? questions? <coughs> just uh, following really on that. Uh, like the complicity thing seems to underlie both concerns, doesn't it? Because if someone say says, that I'm not willing to bear this risky procedure for that if there is a risk that this is going to happen to the embryo that results from my egg, uh, this person seems not to want to be complicit in something they they disapprove of. Mm-hmm. Or That's a, true. And they think, okay, then since this is a bad outcome and this is a bad outcome partly because of this complicity thing, right. I'm not willing to bear the risk. So I'm not sure that the complicity factor is only present in one of these scenarios. It's present in
1: both. That's true. I guess uh, in one of the scenarios, the complicity is not the morally relevant
4: factor. The complicity is the motivating
1: reason a person would oppose uh, or or not engage in a certain procedure. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the morally relevant fact is that there is some piece of information, information X, that would lead someone not to go go through this procedure. Um, And so, yeah, it's true that X happens to be complicity, so complicity comes in at both points. Uh, the question is whether or not this complicity has some sort of special moral weight that might not apply to you know, other factors. Uh, I don't know, like ri- uh, risks, for instance. Um, and, yeah, complicity is different, so I think it, it should be probably considered differently um, and evaluated carefully.
0: Okay. Well, uh, thank you very much, Owen, and uh, great discussion. Mm-hmm. So we'll look forward to uh, hearing that <laughs> And now uh, we have